It's that time of the year. Your vacation is coming up. You can already hear the beach waves, feel the warm breeze, relax, and think about work. You really, really want it all to work out while you're away. Monday.com gives you and the team that peace of mind. When all work is on one platform and everyone's in sync, things just flow. Wherever you are, tap the banner to go to Monday.com. There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with PlushCare. PlushCare accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. plushcare.com slash weight loss. The Late Lunch with Blackstone Motors, Jota, Dundalk and Cavan. Order your new 221 Renault today from our extensive Renault range. Guaranteed delivery and low-rate APR finance. Visit blackstonemotors.ie. You're very welcome to Midweek Late Lunch on LMFM Radio and with Europe in a fragile place at this very moment in time on the show today we're going to be joined by local men who are working in Kiev and Moscow. We begin in Moscow first this afternoon and my first guest should be familiar to you if you're a regular Late Lunch listener. He's lived in Russia since 2007, joined us on Late Lunch regularly during 2018 when the World Cup was on there. He's a sports journalist with Capital FM but also Director of the International Affairs Office at the National University of Science and Technology in Moscow. He has huge loud links and I'm delighted to say hello again to Alan Moore. How are you, Alan? Jerry, I'm doing great and I'm absolutely thrilled to be back on. It's been, what, three and a half years since I was last on and I was in the studio with you last time and I'm just honoured and delighted to be back on LMFM. And I'm delighted to have you with me as well. And we had great times during the World Cup. And uh, I know we've spoken regularly as well over the years. Alan, I wanted to talk to you today because you are on the ground in Moscow, in Russia. And as you can imagine, on this side, we get the feeds from our own media in the West. And I wanted to get a handle on what's happening on the ground in Moscow and Russia today. What's the feeling there about the Ukraine situation? It's very complex, Jerry, because we've gone through this for a long time. And at the time when things kicked off back in you know, 2013, well, 14, really, 2013, 14, I was living down what we, what, what's been termed now in Western media is close to the border of Ukraine. I mean, that's uh, 300 kilometers away. So the length you know, from Belfast to Cork away from, from the border um, and then in Verona. And it was very difficult because in Russia, so many people have what they would term as Ukrainian blood, even though they would say, well, we're all Soviets at the time. So it's a real mixed feeling and people thinking, oh, you know, there's, you know, if Crimea, you know, was OK, uh, what's been going on then in the east part of Ukraine has been, you know, not well received in Russia and people are feeling very uncomfortable about it. Um, and the, the worst thing is that when people who are genuinely, you know, very open and very uh, European oriented, then when they see the reporting being done on it, it's almost driving them into the arms of the likes of Putin and some of his buddies and even the likes of Navalny as well. So it's there's a real kind of, um, de- uh, how say, detrimental effect of the reporting that's coming out of Russia, uh, because, of course, a lot of people are, are seeing it, reading it, hearing it. 
and it, it's it's causing a real disbalance in how they're feeling about the situation and how they're being viewed by the West as well. So, so the feeling there is that uh, the uh, areas uh, of Ukraine that Russia have uh, control of, or the rebel areas, as we're told here, there's a real fear in Russia that natives are being persecuted, attacked, etc. Is that the the mindset? It would be to a fair degree because what happened when this uh, the the well, we say the second revolution, first the Orange Revolution. Um, at the end of the 2010s and then the 2014 Maidan revolution, which seemed to be very, um, let's just say, well-organized and not just within Ukraine. When that took place, uh, that really caused an awful lot of disbalance because what happened then was when they started um, persecuting Russian, they they started outlawing Russian language use in offices, like that Russian language was no longer viewed as, you know, kind of a, a state language. And they were putting that into law. And, you know, now Zelensky, the current um, Ukrainian president, has done a great job in trying to normalize the relationship. But it's gone so far that it allowed, um, let's just say, Egypt's within eastern Ukraine to, to try and to get, you know, make money off this and to cause trouble and to say, oh, we've been very, very persecuted. And, you know, there is a real basis in that. They were persecuted. Russian was outlawed. And we know ourselves from our own situation that when, you know, our, our language and religion was being put down and outlawed, mm. it, it turned even moderate people into rebels. And unfortunately, that's playing into the hands of some really, really nasty people on all sides. And so people who are moderates, they're the ones who are, you know, being driven out of their homes and burnt out of their homes. And that's, that's the real big problem. So that's the perception from the Russian side and the real belief that their own are in danger down there. And all that's happening is, is that Russian forces and Putin is moving in there to protect them and, and to save them. Tell me this. Um, is, is there a, a, a belief on the ground in Russia that Russia is actually going to go in and subsume Ukraine back in into what you would call uh, the lost Soviet Empire? No, no, no. I mean, there's none whatsoever, Jerry. I mean, people don't want it. Um, uh, Putin's speech the other day was kind of unusual in how you say it, that Ukraine is a creation and so on. But Russia itself was a creation uh, in that sense as well. And, and he also brought that up. Um, we, we've been seeing this, I mean, since last November, like this invasion, invasion, war, war, war. People now have just gotten tired of it and just wanted to stop. But there's no nobody here, nobody here who has any brain sense or actually human decency. And this, that's the vast majority of the population. They don't want to see Russia in Ukraine. And for the very basic thing is that uh, economically, it would destroy Russia because Ukraine, as my people say, like, I mean, the eastern part of Ukraine was already quite run down, was in a lot of economic um, hardships faced by people there. So, you know, Russia taking over Ukraine is just, no, it's not on the agenda. And and also from everyone I've spoken with, with the Ministry of Foreign Affairs here, uh, from friends who are working with different government ministries here, they do not want to see that happen. And uh, it's highly unlikely because it would just be an absolute mess. 
And, you know, it would end up, as people say, it would be a Russian Afghanistan. And that's something that, you know, Putin does not want to get himself into. It's interesting that you say that and that we hear that point of view, because like when you're on this side, Alan, I have to say we are getting the opposite. All it is is Russian aggression. They're going to go in. They're about to attack. They're about to take over. Uh, And I'm sure you're saying that that's what people are hearing from the West on that side there. And that in turn is just uh, uh, fueling matters. That's it. Spot on, Jerry. I mean, look, we we came to it ourselves as Irish people when we were viewed as terrorists in the UK. When you you travel yourself, I've travelled even in I remember ninety two mm. over as a student over for a boxing competition in London, and being taken into a room and having our bags gone through, you know, simply because we were you know eighteen years of age and you know on on, on sort of in the potential radar for a terrorist even though we're from Dublin. And it was, it was a kind of a weird situation. And Russians are feeling the same thing as well. And at the moment, the thing that's really annoying a lot of people here, um, when, when, say, the BBC are reporting, now, BBC has been still, like we look at here and Russians say BBC, they would tune into BBC Russia uh, for news rather than the local Russian news. Mm. So that's, you know, and, and they would do that. Now they've stopped because the only news, if you do it, and just ask any of the listeners, just look at the, the BBC website, type in Russia, and try to find a good news story. Try to find something positive coming out. And it's this, you know, I won't say the, the, the words, it's this misery or this, like, horrible stuff coming out of Russia all the time. And, you know, I've, and I've dealt with a lot of the, the journalists who are working here, not like lads or lassies who are working here as, like, freelance English teachers. And then they, you know, they get commissions for articles and they send them home. And, it, it, you know, it's kind of, oh, God, that's not journalism. It's not reporting. It's just, you know, they're drumming up this, you know, it's horrible here. It's really bad and it's dangerous. And it, when you meet them personally, they love it. And I've even seen a good friend of mine works at CNN. He's a chief correspondent here, um, an Englishman. And, and he, he's, he's frustrated with the fact that when he's trying to balance things out and saying that, no, this isn't right, CNN are saying, no, 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 this is, this is the narrative that we want to get across. And it's very difficult, Jerry. And I mean, I always try to stick as much as possible to sports. But as we saw at the Winter Olympics, you know, we had a 15-year-old young lassie who has been absolutely hammered left, right and centre. And, um, you know, it just, it, it was difficult to try and report evenly on it. And, mm. uh, you know, when we were speaking about doping, like we're very, like on Capital, we've got a, you know, a brilliant station director who basically says, if Russia's doing bad, say it. If, you know, just be straight down the line. Yes. And we did it. But even still, it's very, very difficult. And unfortunately, in order to get news out of Russia and to get listened to, as a, especially as an English um, you know, reporter, writer, uh, the only commissions that are coming in are for bad news. And very rarely, Jerry, that, um, you know, English language uh, stations or TV stations will actually want to get a broader opinion mm. and as I know with you like I'm, I'm delighted come on because look what 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 they've done by recognizing the the Donbass republics is a huge mistake I think it's a, a massive error I think it's the, the worst thing could have done um I don't like the way that this country has been run and and I've spoken about it I work to try and change it but little by little like working with international students and with our Russian students as well and trying to make you know life better for them and it's it's very difficult, and especially you know when there was genuine positive news stories coming that should have been coming from Russia in relation to Afghanistan, no one wanted to listen to it. Yes. It was like no, 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 only bad news. Yes, and um, I, I mean one thing: we, you'll be the first uh, news outlet in Ireland to know that 2000, 
2,300 Afghan students were evacuated to come back or to come to study in Russia in September and October last year. No one, no one has reported on that. No one has mentioned it simply because, you know, it, it, it doesn't suit. Yeah, I hear what you're saying and I, it doesn't surprise me. The narrative is being dictated and that's the way it's going. And, and that's why I'm talking to you today because you are on the ground. You know the people there. You've been there for a number of years. And I welcome your honesty, uh, the way you have uh, uh, condemned uh, what Putin did to just move in and annex uh, uh, those two, two areas officially. Look, are you saying to me, just Alan, that the people on the ground don't want war? There are 44 million people in the Ukraine. They are well armed in in there as well. A war would be disastrous. The bodies would be going back to Moscow and all over Russia. There'd be huge casualties in the Ukraine. And God knows, Alan, in Europe, you know, it only takes a spark to ignite maybe a Europe-wide war. That's it. And look, let's put it this way. An awful lot of people, and, and, I've, and, I've, and I've jousted with people in this, like your friends from GAA about this, um, over the, the, the situation with Northern Ireland, now we were, uh, you're just a little bit older than me, Jerry, so you'd remember it's like falls firsthand. And up in, in, in Loud, Monaghan, me, people remember when there were genuine refugees mm. coming in from Northern Ireland. Yes. And there were calls for, uh, I think it was Jack Bridge, like to, to, to send the Irish Army in to protect our own, as you know, uh, mm. and there was great you know, justification in that. That could have been done, and what would have happened would have been that the British Army then would have said, hold on, you're on our sovereign, la- sovereign land, and the next thing then, you know, a full war, and God knows what would have happened to the to, to, to Republic of Ireland. I, I doubt that we would be speaking right now because, mm. you know, we might, might, might have been you know, bombed out of existence. But that's the situation we're looking in Donbass, where, where you had, you know, Russian, ethnic Russian people who were saying that, you know, they're being, you know, discriminated against and, and uh, you know, chased out of their homes and so on. For a long time, the, the, the Russian army did move in and they left it, look, they leave them as it is. Recognising them as republics, it's just, it just isn't the right thing to do okay. because it opens the door to a, a greater conflict. And you just said one little spark and a European war We could be is, in it. We could, we could be in it, Al. Here's the thing. You know, we, we hear about Russia and that you're not allowed to speak your mind and that people have no say and that it's all rigged as regards elections and everything and Putin has his cronies around him, but you're speaking freely from Moscow to us today. Yeah. The worry is this, and, and I'll put this to you, people on the ground don't want war. They really don't, and they know what the implications of it are. But you have a man in charge with the people around him who've taken this decision that you've just mentioned they could go for broke here. They could go and, and, and order this invasion. Is that that has to be the real concern? Listen, Jerry, we saw it in in a democratic nation in the United Kingdom in two thousand three, when millions marched in the streets, millions marched across the world, even in Dublin, marched against the war in Iraq, a manufactured war in Iraq, mm. and they went in anyway. So if does we that worry say, you? Well, does that worry you? Do you think does. that this man is capable of starting something that God knows where it goes? Um, you know, yesterday this is an odd one. I was, uh, I we have our students now with the International Student Council in Miss East University, Miss East, and uh, we have a Gaelic football section. So we, we yesterday we had fifteen different nationalities represented from Mongolia to Equatorial Guinea and through France. Germany and all students were all there playing Gaelic football and uh, between the matches I, I, I sat down for a moment and I just 
it, it, this thought passed my mind, Jerry, and it hasn't been in my head since the 1980s. What the, what happens if a nuclear bomb lands in the centre of Moscow? Because where I'm sitting right now, Jerry, is about a kilometre from the, the Kremlin. I'm in the called the Dome Knigge, which is the House of Books. I'm sitting here with my my young lad is 12, and he said to me, "You know, I don't want war to happen. You know, what happens if if, if war goes on?" And the kids here are now going through the same thing as I would have gone through in the 1980s mm. when we had movies about like the, the I think it was called The Day After. Remember that movie that yes. was on? The Day After and mm. and about the, the nuclear war. So is there a possibility? There's always a possibility that something mad is going to happen. And, you know, the, Jerry, and I'll just say this, uh, the worst thing, and this is why if we focus on Putin, if he's in charge, that's grand. Um, there are far worse people knocking around who get into power who wouldn't give a damn, who literally wouldn't give a damn. And um, and that's on all sides of the fence, not just here, because there's people in Russia, certain people in Russia who would love to see a war in Ukraine because it would make them a lot of money. And uh, they don't care about the lies of my son or, or any other you know, child here in Russia. And there's people in Ukraine who want to get rid of Zelensky because they think he is too soft. And, he's, you know, and there's people here who think that Putin is too soft as well. So if, is there a realistic chance of a war? I very much, I very much doubt it. In my heart of hearts, and okay. my head's screwed on, I, I doubt it. But as I said yesterday, I, I started to think about it. Jesus, if a bomb went off, what would I do? Mm. And the first thing I thought of, uh, you know, I haven't been home in two years. I haven't left Russia in two years. And the first thought I was like, Jesus, I'd want to call mom. That's it. You know, mm. and, and it's a horrible situation for Isn't I have to find himself. Yeah, that you have that running through your head. Look at Alan, I'm going to leave it there for today. I thank you for joining me to give us the other side, the other perspective. It's really interesting to hear what you have to say. I'll be back to you, I promise. We've resumed this uh, contact and I'm going to keep in touch with you if that's okay. That's great. Jerry, I love it. I know my, my aunts and uncles are listening as well uh, around Loudermont and, and my mum is listening as well in Dublin. So I'm, I'm always, always free for you, Jerry. Always. Lovely. Great, Alan. Really do appreciate it. Take care and mind yourselves there. Thanks a million, Alan. Thank Talk you. to you, you soon. Bye Take bye. care now. Bye-bye. That's Alan Moore there. Uh, with a lot of family in this area here in the northeast in Ireland and interesting to hear what he says he loves Moscow he loves Russia he loves the people warts and all it is the other side it is the other side we must think about the other side of the equation as well late lunch LMFM radio coming up after two on the show we have another loud man this time he's in Kiev he's in the heart of Kiev we'll have a chat with him shortly now, top of the show, we heard from uh, loud man Alan Moore in uh, Moscow, and he had some very interesting things to say about the narrative uh, we're hearing here in the West. Time to head to Kiev now in the Ukraine and join a man who's made the, the Ukraine his home. He's originally from the Kuli Omith area. He's an international consultant there. I'm delighted to say hello to Brendan Murphy. Brendan, thanks for joining me. Well, hello. How are you? I'm really good. Thanks for taking our call this afternoon. I want to ask you this from the, the outset, because I put this to Alan in, in Moscow earlier on. I see you quoted in recent days saying you don't believe the Russians will invade. And funny enough, Alan Moore said the very same. But hold on a minute. A state of emergency has just been declared and the reserves yeah. have been called up, Brendan. That doesn't suggest that an invasion is not going to happen. So, I mean, the reality is that uh, conversations change very quickly. And the original understanding was that he was going to, and this is Putin, invade uh, further the, the, the occupied territories. 
But the bombing and missiles and rockets that are being fired now indicate that he will advance into Ukraine completely. So you now have changed your mind? Well, I mean, obviously the evidence is the facts on the ground and they're attacking the border. So, uh, you know, you can draw your own conclusion. How uh, is life in Kiev today? What is the feeling on the ground? Is there real concern and worry that war is imminent? Well, I mean, people here have lived with war since uh, 2013 with, the, with, with, with basically the kind of Yanukovych government. But, um, I mean, the reality is people are calm. It's a national policy to be calm. Uh, reservists have been called up. People know that they are going to war. And they're preparing for that. But equally, they're going to work, they're going to school, they're outside resting in the nice weather because they know they need to be ready for terrible times. It's a shocking cloud to have hanging over you, even though you're saying normal life is attempting to go on. Well, but your mental health, no matter what the stress, no matter what's happening, having a, a country of 42 million people in a panic is not helpful, especially if half of them decide to go to the border and escape. And, and, and what do you mean, that people will head back in towards Russia? Or no, go, go the other nobody way? Want, yeah, nobody wants to go to Russia at all. They will go, you know, if, obviously if the cities are attacked in massive amounts, which is the scale of the military yeah. uh, there, they will go across the border and those borders of the European Union borders. So we're going to have another refugee crisis like we've witnessed elsewhere in Europe over the last couple of years. No, I had the impression that there's a lot of people who would be Russian-leaning. Well, down in those republics there, Alan Moore was telling us early on, there's a lot of ethnic Russians down there who really, you know, want to continue living in that way. So you're saying to me, if you take 42, 43 million people, the vast, vast majority want nothing to do with Russia. So there was never, I've known Ukraine since 1998, there was never a separatist movement there was never that that was imported by russians arriving on coaches and buses and being brought in by the russian military at the time and they've consolidated that and and 1.9 million ukrainians were forced out of those areas same in crimea they evicted they, they basically ethnically cleansed ukrainians and brought in russians and had the false election so this is a mass manipulation in 2014 and of course now the people who are in those areas are coming from russia and they want to be russian but prior to that there isn't a single survey uh, that would indicate a separatist attitude this is uh, shaping into a, a, an absolute travesty, obviously, from what you say there. And if the war proceeds, I, I did say to Alan, God knows where it goes with NATO perhaps becoming involved, other countries in Europe. We could be in for a cataclysmic uh, war, the likes never seen before. Um, what about you and your family situation there? Because you have a wife there, she has a daughter, your, uh, her mother is there as well, she's 80 years of age. What, what, what will you do if war breaks out? Well, I mean, unfortunately, Ireland is the only country in the European Union that requires visas and documents. 
So they've said we need to go to a Schengen country and be a displaced person. Or as recently as, as a couple of hours ago, they said, you know, book online and then get your documents. Well, for me to get the documents takes a minimum of a month for, for my elderly uh, mother-in-law. And we went today to, to start that process. She had a panic attack and she needed she couldn't travel because she's so stressed by the idea of having to get these documents and go to a foreign country. She's not able for it. And um, if the government would make it visa-free, which would be the same as every country in the European Union, we'd be able to go for 90 days. But that's not an option. Ireland's out of step. I know this on this. You can get a 90-day visa-free access waiver, and that's been applied over Europe at the moment. If that were available to you, because I presume you can come and go as you please with your papers. Yep. Uh, yeah, but I'd be abandoning my family. Of course you would, and you're not going to do that. In, in, no. if, if that was regularised, and I know you're calling for that to happen, would you come to Ireland? Would you just take everybody to Ireland? Of course, for the 90 days, and then we can see which way the wind's blowing. Mm, it must be shocking for your mother-in-law, 80 years of age, to have to up sticks and leave the country she loves. Yeah, and and to, to have documents, and of course these documents... You know, these documents are not new. She's 80 years old, you can imagine. She just doesn't have... Nobody prepares for an evacuation. Mm. But most people would have a biometric passport because you're young and you travel wherever you want to go. How many 80-year-olds have the documents needed to travel anywhere? Mm. And and, and if the invasion happens, you're talking about 42, as I said, 43 million people. It's not possible yeah. for that amount of people to up sticks and move simultaneously. Now, there'll be a rush for the borders, as you say, into Europe, which will be horrendous in itself and will have to be dealt with. But look, you give us a different perspective to Alan Moore. Talk to us. Alan Moore is very happy in Moscow. He's an Irish man from County Loud like yourself. Big roots here. Worked there for years and years. Likes the people. Was open. He, he criticised Putin. Uh, he was talking to me. You didn't hear him there earlier on and what he's done there. But he did make the point that there were people in that area. But you're saying to me that this is a manufactured uh, population in those areas. If you go back to 2012, 2013, before Yanukovych, who was a Putin proxy, stole billions and billions and, and murdered 107 uh, people and ran away, there would be no evidence whatsoever of any separatism. But, you know, there would have been affinity. But there was no self question about self-government. There was no question about not being Ukrainian. And as I said, 1.9 million people came away from that very small part of Ukraine. And now, obviously, 42 million, if the same process applied, potentially you're talking 10 to 15 million people, given that he intends to flatten cities with large populations, with the rockets and the missiles and uh, everything else that he's bringing to mm, the border. Mm, allegedly, at the moment, we have to say that is the case, but uh, time will certainly tell. How long are you living there, Brendan? Yeah. So we're currently, since the Patrick's Day uh, on the, on the in 2020, when the pandemic came in, I was on the last flight because, as you know, Ireland closed its borders because of uh, coronavirus, mm. COVID-19. So since then, because I wasn't able to come back because I was concerned about closing borders for, for, for public health reasons. Yes. So you've, you've only been there since 2020? 
Well, I've known Ukraine and travelled over and back and stayed yeah. here for months, months yes. at a time. Yes, I know for, that. Yeah, for, for, since '98, but permanently yeah. this time uh, for for the last two years. Yeah, so 1998, I wanted to just establish that your association goes back a long time and you've worked a lot there and you've been over and back. But uh, as you said, coronavirus has uh, meant that you've had to stay stay there since. Are are the people ready? Is the army ready? Is uh, there much in terms of military support and weaponry in Ukraine from uh, supporters of Ukraine? Well, I think I would say three things. First of all, the military here... Uh, after 2014 got rid of a lot of the Russians who were in the military structure who prevented things happening. And it's a professional army now, much more than it ever was. In terms of its supply of military equipment, that's happening on an ongoing basis with planes coming in uh, to Ukraine from very many countries. Almost every military producer in Europe is, via the Germans, are sending something. The Dutch, the Finland, Lithuania, Latvia, you know, most of them are sending supplies. Um, and and there's an internal um, uh, defence industry here. Um, so they're well prepared, and they've prepared for a while because they knew this was inevitable uh, if Putin was to continue as president. And uh, this time has come. And uh, as I said to, earlier today, they, they, they killed a couple of people by using Grad rockets, which are rockets <coughs> um, fired uh, at, at the Ukraine army on, on the conflict, uh, the line of conflict. So uh, things are fragile and things are on a knife edge. But what you're saying to us is professional army being well armed more the to- more of the time. Uh, they have numbers. They would certainly put a hell of a fight up to the Russians. So, so with the military and the reserves and and the and the third level, which is the territorial defence, that's probably over a million in any case. Mm. And uh, the forces massed on the border are substantial for sure. Uh, God yeah. Almighty, I I I I I, I, ju- I can't just place myself even in your shoes or the people there uh, with what could be imminent because. Uh, it, it it doesn't bear thinking about, Brendan. No, I understand that. And I think Irish people rightly have a difficulty imagining how what, what this means. Uh, and what it means is that you look at a city in normality and then very rapidly it's subject to bombing and becomes, sh- you know, these these horrible uh, things from, from other countries like Syria where everything's bombed out. And, and that happened in 2014 and it will happen now. Mm. Oh my God! The poor people there. What happened to them? Mm. This is horrendous. Is there any? Do you think there's any way back from this? Or, or do all the the aces lie with Putin? We've heard about a range of sanctions that have been announced. You know, they're probably limited in their scope as well. But from from my perspective here, I don't think it makes any difference. Well, no. Well, I mean, there isn't a single Irish national sanction applied currently. Uh, the Irish follow the the EU and the international community, but other countries have applied sanctions as well as the international. So the EU has applied sanctions, and then nation states have applied different sanctions. Like Germany, as you know, have pulled the certification mm. for the pipe for the Nord Stream two pipe, the gas pipe. But but this the problem is that every single sign of weakness is is received as an as an acceptance by Putin and his group of 
of, of government, which are all in the 70s, by the way. The, the people who are doing all of this were born uh, in the ashes of, of World War II when they want to bring the world back to what they experienced as children. But there's one thing you must say and uh, in their defence, that uh, history shows them that uh, the Russians have paid dearly with millions of people being killed. If you go back to Napoleon's time, which is a long time ago, but certainly in World War Two on the German front, where what happened is just, again, incomprehensible about the millions that lost their lives. And they fear this. There is a, uh, probably a genuine fear in those people. Yes, but with respect, the Ukraine... When you're ready to pop the question, the last thing you want to do is second-guess the ring. At BlueNile.com, you can design a one-of-a-kind ring with the ease and convenience of shopping online. Choose your diamond and setting. When you find the one, you'll get it delivered right to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off your purchase. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash trip for free shipping and 365-day returns. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Ukrainians were the major part of the Red Army. It was Ukrainians. There was 11 million Ukrainians who were killed. You know, don't forget that when you talk about Russia, it wasn't Russia, it was the Red Army. And many, many, many of those victims were in Ukraine because, as you know, uh, Hitler failed in his attack on Russia, but he was very successful Mm. in attacking Ukraine and uh, occupied many, many cities. And that was where the burden of death and destruction occurred. And it was Ukrainians who suffered that far more than the Russians did, although Stalingrad was awful. But you look at the history of that time, and it was Ukraine that took the awful hammering, and they stole everything from Ukraine and destroyed the cities completely. Mm. So if you, if you do look at it carefully, you'll see that when you look at where the most damage and the most death occurred, it's Ukraine that suffered that, not the Russians. And be fair, Ukraine is not seeking a war with anyone, right? It's yep. a bit like... It's a bit like, I don't know, the French bombing Ireland because they fell out with the English. What mm. has it got to do with us, right? If you want to pick a fight with, with, with NATO, go and talk to the people in France and Germany. They're the ones who are running the NATO thing. If you want to fall out with the English, fine, fall out with them. What has Ukraine done to deserve such, such awful, awful, awful 
uh, war since 2020, since 2014, mm. all of the deaths and the murders and the ethnic cleansing that are never reported is real. And now you're reporting it, not a mm. because it's gone under world focus, because Putin realized that when the first sanctions for 2014 were introduced, the world said, well, okay, then you've done your job, you're a stupid man, and that's it, you pay, that's your fine for doing what you did. And he didn't get what he wanted. So now he's going to create a massive war to get what he wants, which is to re-engineer the global security system and remove the basic principles, the founding principles that were created after the Second World War. And he's going to do that by creating the Third World War. God, I, I, uh, I hope you're wrong. I hear what you're saying, and and uh, well, I want to be wrong. Yes, too. I don't yeah. want to be wrong. No, no, no. I hope I really do hope you're wrong. But you made the point really well about the sacrifices that the Ukrainian people have made historically. Anyway, I'm going to leave it for the there for today. Are you planning to continue? Just last word to you to to get out. Yeah, I need. I, I've reorganised to go on the first of March if 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 the, okay. uh, the mother-in-law is well enough. Yes, got the word there. You're working ahead on the paperwork with the first of March in mind. Thank you so much for joining me and giving us your time today. No problem. Thank Take you. Take care of yourself. Bye bye. That's Brendan Murphy there, for originally from Coolio Meath, who's been. Uh, in the Ukraine working since 1998. Thanks for your message, Peter. Nice to hear from you again. Uh, Brendan was gone, actually, when I just picked it up. Uh, He just mentions, Peter mentions, uh, Prime Minister Zelensky. When he was elected, he uh, actually jailed those who challenged him after the election. Peter says he's not a Democrat. He's the one that the West is backing uh, and that the West is trying to blacken Putin. And it's the USA that's pushing to go into the Ukraine. And they've short memories because Peter says... They should remember what happened in Cuba in the 1960s when the world stood on the brink of a nuclear war. Thanks indeed for your message to the show this afternoon, Peter. Now we move on and uh, there's been so much sadness and outpouring of goodwill since news broke over the weekend that it would be the end of an era for one of Drogheda's oldest family businesses and it's going to close its doors when I tell you after 104 years trading. I'm talking about Kieran's Brothers Delicatessen on West Street in the heart of the town. It's winding down over the coming weeks and its current proprietor Niall Cairns joins me. Hello Niall. Jerry, how are you doing? How's things? Thanks very much for having me on your show and hello to your listeners. No, not at all, Niall. Not, delighted to have you with us. Well, is this... Um, I, I just think the pandemic is over, Niall, and things are opening up again and you've come through more than pandemics in the 104 years. Has this been a sudden decision or has it been on the cards for a while? No, in fairness, it's been on the back boiler for quite a long time. The decision was actually made, believe it or not, pre-COVID. My, my, even my late father was actually part of that decision. I was quite happy with it at the time it was made. And it just took so long to get it across the line, really. Um, so, no, in fairness, COVID wasn't um, a decision maker as such, in, to, the, to the credit of our state, whereas I would be a great critic of some decisions made by various governments over the year, years. I would say the present government did everything it could to keep small businesses in business. And certainly if the supports that were there weren't there, maybe we would have pulled the plug somewhat earlier. So, no, it wasn't part of it. But having said that, having gone through COVID and that, you do kind of say, oh, no, not again, another hurdle to, mm. to surmount as such. So, yeah, sometimes... 
because no one went to quit. <laughs> yeah, and uh, you know, you are an institution. I think of all the generations of people who went there to support the business. The sausage is legendary. The turkeys at Christmas time and all the fair around that. It was such a, a, a pivotal business in the heart of Drogheda. Yeah, well, it's, it's kind of had many iterations over the years. The original business was actually a, a supermarket set up by my grandfather and his brother, Oni. And Oni was a remarkable man. I often think he never got the credit he deserved. He was a former alderman in the corporation, uh, president of the chamber. He, he was, uh, had so many irons in the fire, a great business head. Um, but originally it was a supermarket. And then when the supermarkets came to Ireland, like Power Supermarket mm. and the likes, which went on to be Quinsworth and now Tesco's, um, they saw that this model wasn't going to work and they moved into specialising in pork and ba- well, more bacon and ham and that sort of stuff. Yes. And then we branched into doing exotic things like red cheddar and decided maybe we should try cooking the chickens and all that sort of stuff and that was the beginning of the delicatessen as we have today and we since then we're into doing hot food and outside catering and all that sort of stuff so constantly reinventing and changing I mean you stand still you die yeah um, you know so you were the forerunners in roasting the chickens and doing things like that that everybody and anybody ha- has adopted. Now, the other thing is, where you are on West Street at the moment, you weren't always on that side of the street. No, we we crossed the road. We, <laughs> we're, getting, we're getting too much sun on the far side. Uh, yeah, um, originally, the family home was where Mars Chemist is now, 105 West Street. Um, so in my family's recollection, my recollection of the family ever talking about the two shops is always 105 and 15. We never referred to either of the two shops. They just were known by the, the numbers over the door. But yeah, Mars was a family home. That's where the supermarket was. Or if you want to call it a grocery store, is probably more correct. And then we crossed to where we are now, and that's when we specialised in the ham and the bacon and all that sort of stuff. Um, and then we wound down the shop the far side of the street and stayed where we are. Um, and then subsequently opened the gateway in 1981 um, to, I think it was 2008 or thereabouts. So, yeah, that was, you know, and it was, a, it was a good move. It gave us a lot more space than that. And we obviously had the laneway down the side, which made it easy for deliveries and yes. all that sort of stuff. So it worked well. And you had the cafe there at the back now, which right, is yeah. the Bear Food Company. They're continuing, by the way, there, yes. I'm glad to say they are. They're great tenants, uh, Sonia and Damien. Um, we're delighted to see that they're still there, and um, I hope they have a great relationship with the, their new landlords as such. Um, they, were, they were a pleasure for us to deal with, and I think the new landlord will find the same. You, you mentioned that if you stand still, uh, you really die, and, and you've uh, moved and shaked through the years, as you mentioned there, uh, being innovators and changing all of the time but in a way Niall when you think today of the world we live in where uh, at most four courts of garages of that there is a fine deli or an, uh, uh, specialised uh, let's say centre shops and laundress and places like that are doing what you once did perhaps exclusively is that part and parcel of, of why you may be closing? Oh yeah, it's, it's part of the mix. I mean, there was a time there where, um, you, as you say, we kind of had exclusive, um, you know, things like, as I mentioned earlier, each simple thing like red cheddar or, or coleslaw, sliced cooked ham, and everybody and anybody now has it. So yes, your competition coming from many quarters. The nature of our business being food, the internet was never a major issue for us directly, but indirectly, if people were less likely to come downtown because some of their internet purchases were done and then they didn't support the other local shops, it did affect footfall, and we, we could see that. 
that the, the, the footfall probably wasn't the same as what we'd remember it to be. Um, but there's other issues too as well. I mean, age-wise, my partner in crime, as I say, Mark, he's of retirement age. I'm, you know, in my late 50s. Um, and you do need to have your your youth in retail. And um, whereas I'd see myself being good for a number of years, yet um, I think it might be wiser to pull out a shade early than a shade late. Mm. And more to the point, what greatly influenced our thinking was when the economy is as surprisingly buoyant as it is, it does maximise the opportunity for our crew who have been fantastic to our, to our families over the years to get the best options they may have for future employment for those who wish to continue on. I, I do. I always had in the back of my mind if we ended up calling it a day when times were bad, there'd be virtually no job prospects. So I'm glad to say that won't be or shouldn't be an issue. So I obviously need to say wish them the absolute best. Uh, the the front uh, the shop itself where you operate from you don't have to say if, if you don't wish but w- will that continue as a business? Well, uh, there will be I'm sure a new business in it, but I don't even know if it would be a food business. So okay. I'm not privy to the new plans, yes. so I, I don't okay. really know. Okay, yeah. that's fine. That's fine. The other thing is the legendary Cairn sausage. We have to talk about that for a moment because <laughs> uh, I don't think there was a home in Draha that didn't taste them nor didn't love them. Paul was up the road from you near to Narrow West Street, the butcher right. shop there. The sausages were made there and then you just took your, your share, was it, and sold them. Was that the way it worked? Well, basically, yeah, Paul, in fairness to made both sausages and the black and white pudding yes. for the, the, the two businesses over the many years. Mm. Uh, now, when Paul chose to retire, um, we had the option of to taking on to do them in-house ourselves. But to do that under current regulations, you'd have to build, for the want of a description, a mini factory. Yes. But you could never justify So we literally outsourced it. Um, so we had the, the sausages made off-site by a specialist manufacturer, and he made them to our recipe as such, and we're happy with that, and it worked quite well. Is the recipe gone now? Is that it? No more? Oh, it, still, it, it does still exist. It's a question of whether, um, you know, somebody else may happen to have an interest in it or what. <laughs> I kind of look into what are options there. and It'd be nice if, if I could make it available for yes. people to still enjoy in, in other outlets in the town. And if other outlets are happy to do that, I'll be... I, I, we as a family will stand alone from it and we just let our manufacturer deal directly with a new customer. Yes, yes, because they were unique. They, they've always been special too and it'd be a terror. You know the way, and I don't have to remind you of this, you know the way the different butchers, I think of Barnes who was beside you there as well, they all had their own recipes and nobody gave an inch to the other. You couldn't reveal oh, no. it. Not at all, yeah. <laughs> it was so yeah. uh, so so interesting. It, it, it was indeed. So for Niall Kearns, you've been very vocal in terms of the heart of Drogheda and the way it's been ripped out of it over the years and you've been a driving force behind the reinvigoration of it. Are you going to retain any interest in that aspect of your life? Oh, most certainly, yeah. I mean, I, I am still the chairman of the uh, Love Drogheda Business Improvement District and it's certainly my intention to stay at that for some time yet. Um, that, uh, the, you know, the, my town is very special to me. The people of the town have been great to our families. They've effectively fed us and educated us by, by virtue of their custom. And uh, it means a lot to me. Like, if you look back at our families involved in the affairs of the town, I'm delighted to see I'll be able to say of the various things we're involved in, as mentioned earlier, with former aldermen and we'd five presidents of the Chamber of Commerce, we'd presidents of Rotary and presidents and captains of the golf club and president, I was a president of Interact My Youth and all that sort of stuff. So, yeah, I'd like to think that we as a family did give back to the town that was so good to us. That's good to hear because you're a valuable asset. It would be a, a, a terror to lose you. So, what well, you're, you're winding down at the moment. Have you a, a definitive close date? 
Well, we're talking towards the end of March now. No absolute date set in stone yet, but it'll be towards the end of March, yes. And a lovely building, I have to say. The stonework in it and everything to do about it. It really is a a, a beautiful place that you've been operating out of there. Anyway, you're not going to be uh, resting on your laurels. You're still a very young man with lots to contribute. Ah, uh, yeah, I don't think I'll be bored now. I wouldn't wish it on my wife to be under her heels all day long. <laughs> yes. I think I'd be either murdered or divorced. So I think <laughs> it, it, it might make sense to find a, an attendee. A so, yeah, I, I don't think I'll be idle in that regard. And just when you mention the facade of the building, just to point out to people an, an insight they might be aware of, we came across a, 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 an historical reference to the Black and Tans back in the days. The neighbouring premises, which is presently a phone shop, were owned by two sisters, their names escape me now, it'll come back to me, but um, but they were Republican sympathisers as such, and the Black and Tans didn't take kindly to them, and they set up a machine gun on a crossley tender on the opposite side of the street and sprayed the building. And if you look at the stonework, to the, I think to the left-hand side of the hall door, you can see a number of irregular holes in the wall. Now, some of them are regular where signs had been affixed. But we've been looking into this and we do believe they're the original bullet holes from the, the black and tans in their sojourn in town. <laughs> there you go. A little bit of history and thanks yeah, for that yeah. and telling my, us today. My Interesting. And my grandfather, Michael and Oni, in Ted Green's excellent book, uh, Draw It's Part in Ireland's History, I think it is, um, refers to how they were accosted another night by the black and tans when they were taking their uh, days takings to the bank and had to leg down the street followed by somebody waving a revolver. So they lived in very interesting times compared Absolutely. to what we complain about. Absolutely. We have nothing to complain about, Niall. Yeah. Well, look at... Uh, uh 104 years is a tremendous innings for a business with all of the Cairnses who are no longer with us and to yourself and Mark and to your families and your wife Suzanne and all concerned we wish you all the very best and thank you for the service the wonderful service you provided to the people of Drogheda for over 100 years we wish you all well thank you for joining me Niall thanks Jerry. and if I can just say none of it would have happened only for the staff we had they were a wonderful crew they fought through thick and thin at some really difficult times and they came, came up trumps every time and helped us come out the best each and every time so fully appreciated of their efforts Thanks indeed Niall wish you well and thanks for joining us on the show today Thank you Take Bye. care of yourself Niall Cairns there from Cairns Delicatessen on West 104 years and the doors will close in March You're with Late Lunch on LMFM Radio still to come on the show today my soundtrack from Jersey Boys I have a great one for you today so they're all great from uh, that uh, musical they really are and we're going to be joined by Rory Smith from Fit Life Paul wanted to know what year Cairns has moved from one side of West Street to the other it was 1944 Paul that they actually moved into their current premises another one there says Jerry, will you get that clever man back the man who spoke about the third world order and see what he has to say about Ukraine Russia we're talking about Robert Pye aren't we there Louise yeah. I haven't been in touch with him in ages I must uh, tick tack with him and see what the story is thank you for that message we'll tell you who's won the Cinderella pantomime uh, in Kells tickets after three on the show but um, Louise uh, uh, you were saying to me there uh, Abramovich owns Chelsea you know that yeah, Russian man. There's news that there's no sanctions against him. No, well, no. There's news that the um, UK haven't said they haven't ruled out sanctions against, against him. him. Yeah. God, that would be interesting in a Chelsea context, wouldn't it? If that happened, I see they're talking about as well. The Champions League final is supposed to be in Saint Petersburg in Russia this year, so it'll be interesting to what see. Month? 
later uh, on? May, yeah? May, oh, yeah, okay. May time, if that happens. That's that's to be in Russia. Oh, Louise, it was a question of bye-byes yesterday on the BBC. Did you see this, no? No. Oh, bye-byes on the BBC. Oti Mabuse is leaving Strictly Come Dancing, one of the most popular dancers on the show. Oh, she's why gone. Is she I see she's a judge on Dancing on Ice. You know that's on at the moment on the opposition on UTV. She's become a judge there. I think she's moving to UTV Lock, Stock and Barrel but she's leaving Strictly and she was a very popular woman. She won it at least once, maybe twice. Brilliant dancer from South Africa originally. Her sister's a judge. Uh, on the show it was a bit I thought that was a bit funny so she was a dancer and her sister, uh, yeah, was, the a sister judge. was a judge yeah yeah. so Motsi, depending on Motsi whether they Mabusi. fell out over the week <laughs> although I have to say she was, she showed no bias but anyway it's probably uh, better overall but we, OD will be missed big fan I am of Strictly Come Dancing and the other one leaving oh Louise I don't watch Countdown anymore didn't I tell you that Yeah. I don't watch it since Anne like Robinson went into the hot seat oh my god almighty anyway Emily Maitlis is leaving Newsnight on BBC Two. Do you remember Emily who mm-hmm. interviewed... Well, she had many big interviews. Prince, what do you call him? That was... Um, what do you call him? Andrew, Andrew, I nearly forgot myself. Prince Andrew, she had the key <laughs> interview with him. Sure, he's resigned from everything anyway, hasn't he? And the, the mother... Don't paid. think he's called Prince anymore, is, uh, is he? Is he not? No, no, Andrew. The interview with Andrew. Yeah, Emily is leaving. Uh, Newsnight, brilliant journalist. She was censured, you know, by the BBC in her time. Reported uh, she's coming here. What? <laughs> is she? She no, she's you never jo- know. I know where she's going. She's going a new podcast with John Sopel, who's also left the BBC. He was their uh, I think American correspondent and they're joining LBC Radio in London. That's uh, where they're going. LBC uh, are uh, have signed them up. So there you go. Big change is coming. Uh, it's always change in this business. There is indeed. Uh, those um, those big changes announced yesterday and the departures from the BBC. I've just seen very quickly here, uh, Jerry Karma on independent.ie. Um, a robber was coming out of a Dublin pharmacy yep. after an aggravated burglar- burglary. <laughs> he got caught in between the doors. Oh, fantastic. Yeah. Isn't that just great? Aggravated burglary and the doors got him. The doors closed on him. Brilliant, brilliant, brilliant. And made the full uh, force of the law come upon him now at this stage. Anyway, coming up on the show after three, uh, we're talking to Rory Smith from Fit Life Coaching and more from and about Jersey Boys. But taking us towards news, weather and sport, top of the hour. Oh, I love this one. Oh, I just love it. Brings me back. Belinda Carlisle Let her spin Let her spin Now my soundtrack this week comes from the brilliant stage musical Jersey Boys and the format of the show is interesting in that like life the story is told through the four seasons spring, summer, autumn and winter the early years starting out as young lads and teens when the world appeared to be their oyster is the spring of their lives in Jersey Boys during summer the hits flow they're on top of the world never ending success appears assured but is it ever in life no it isn't as summer uh, moves into autumn in their lives the cracks appear problems mount with money and taxes and as the winter of life dawns the four seasons are no more. Yes, using the seasons as a play on the name, the show's narrative 
is really strong, underpinning the wonderful, wonderful music. There's a reprise uh, and a wonderful finale, but you'll just have to go and see Jersey Boys, which you can soon. Yes, it's returning to the Borgosh Energy Theatre on November 1st to 12th this very year. Roll up, roll up, get your tickets now and enjoy wonderful classics just like this. My Yeah, Jersey boys. You can book tickets right now for the Board Gosh Energy. The first to the 12th of November this year. I highly recommend it to you. Go see it. You'll love it. I promise. Now, just reminding you that our coverage of the Premier League continues this Saturday on the LMFM app or by clicking on the Listen tab on our LMFM website. Leeds Spurs at half 12, 3 o'clock. Brentford take on Newcastle while the evening game at half past 5 sees Everton face Manchester City. Premier League Live with now. Join in the experience with a Now Sports or Sports Extra membership. It's all there for you, as I always say. Final break of the afternoon. And you know the way images everything today. Oh, look at them. Aren't they looking lovely on social media? Oh, she's beautiful. He's gorgeous. It's nonsense, really. It's all photoshopped and we're going to talk about it next. The man behind Fit Life Coaching Gymnasium in Navin, Rory Smith, doesn't just work in the gym. He's a real strong presence on social media. And Earl Louise said to me, you've got to have a chat with him because he's touching on a real interesting subject and he's on the line. Hello, Rory. How are you doing, Jerry? Thanks for joining me on the show. The whole premise of this, and you talk about many things, but I just want to talk to the, about this for a few moments with you today. It's this whole thing around image. And you see people coming into your gym. You know what we're talking about here. And especially across the social media platforms where people look absolutely amazing. Not a blemish on them, but it's not real life, is it, Rory? No, and that's and that's the main point I'm trying to get across. The majority of the images we see coming across social media are heavily edited and heavily filtered. And unfortunately, it's sort of it's young adults and teenagers I worry about the most that are maybe feeling pressure to look a certain way because of these images they're constantly being bombarded with every day. So this is something that's dolled up, photoshopped, the blemishes are removed because in real life, um, I take it that stretch marks, talk about, let's talk about ladies for a moment, the stretch marks or maybe they have a scar where they had the procedure or something like that. That is a reality and there's no way of hiding that. No, absolutely not. And I mean, predominantly, I mostly work with women. Yeah. I'd say 90% of my clientele are women. And some of the things that pop up uh, more often than not, are you know they might be happy with the, a certain amount of weight loss they've had, but they mightn't want to wear a certain item of clothing because it shows off a scar. They might be slightly embarrassed over you know pregnancy stretch marks, for example. So again, the message we're trying to get out there is that these things are 100% normal, and we all have scars, we all have blemishes, we all get spots. You know, when we look at social media, things are so heavily filtered that. It comes across that if we have these things like scars, blemishes, spots, that that's the abnormal, when in actual fact, that's the normal. So it's just trying to really get that point across that what we're viewing on our phones and on our screens every day is in real life. And especially, as I mentioned already, for young teenagers viewing them things, that they're aware of that. 
It's a very important message to get across and to let them know that this is the case. And in terms of when you have people in and you're working with women in a gymnasium uh, scenario, you see this. Do you see people now being affected by this that are wanting to cover up and wanting not to show, you know, their bodies as they are? Yeah, well, the, the main thing for me, Jerry, is I want people to be able to wear what's comfortable wearing. Yeah. Now, I've, oft, I've often worked with women where we might be on the gym floor and, you know, maybe another girl will walk past and, and my client might say something like, God, I'd love to be able to wear a pair of shorts like that. But, I'm, you know, it might be something like Farrakhan stains in their legs there, embarrassed about. And, and I'm then trying to reassure them that, well, you know, just because that one person doesn't have them doesn't mean that another 10 people in the gym might not have the same thing. And, and we should be able to be comfortable to wear whatever we want to wear. But again, it's the, it's the old saying that the comparison is the thief of joy. And when we're constantly comparing ourselves to other, we tend to take away from our own joy. Mm. And it yeah. is this thing of comparing and looking and think, and it's a it's a wider problem than just what you're focusing on here. It it, it per- permeates many aspects of life where everything looks perfect with people. But that's that's the real nub of this, and and especially with younger people and in their minds. This is the, what you're trying to get at to say, no, no, no. What's the solution, Niall? What do you what do you what do you think is the answer to all of this, Rory? Should I say? I suppose, Jerry, it's just awareness. I mean, I, I was on this show before and um, I talked about this, that what we, what we see on our screens is always a highlight reel. And it's important for teenagers and young adults especially to realise that, that you're only seeing people's highlights. They're not going to show you the bad aspects of their life or the down days or the days where things aren't going so well. You're only going to see, you know, the, the, the pictures on the beach with the happy families. You're going mm. to see the shots in the gym with the correct lighting and the right angles where everything looks great. But that's not real life and that's the main you know, point that I, I keep time and time again trying to raise is that once we're looking at our screens, you're seeing the best shots. Mm. You're seeing maybe picture number 10 of, you know, the first nine weren't shown, but the 10th picture is shown. So it's just to create that awareness that, you know, I'm looking at my phone, but 90% of what I'm seeing isn't in actual factory life. Yeah, and uh, and if we could all just take that on board and, and have that as our mantra, it would be far, far better for everybody. And the whole thing is this. You take people with you, you know, to help them with their diet, nutrition, their fitness, of course, as well. Yeah. But what what's building up here with this problem is a mental health issue. Oh, absolutely. And, and a self-confidence issue as well. Yeah. And I think another part of the solution, just to go back on the previous point, is to encourage people to put up the real pictures. Yeah. So I, I really, really like when I see a photo on social media that's not heavily edited, not photoshopped, and, and just showing the real person behind the camera. Mm. And that is what we should all be endeavouring to do. Put it up, warts and all. Who cares? It it, <laughs> sorry for the pun. I didn't mean that there, but you know what I'm saying? It, Absolutely, yeah. It, it is up there. Yeah, put it up as it is, the reality. Don't be trying to Photoshop a doctor or anything or picking the best ones. Let people see what it's like in, in real terms. Your message... Yeah, go on. Yeah, sorry to interrupt you there, Jerry. And just to, to point out as well that... You know, it's through no, like, again, talking about teenagers, and mm. through no fault of their own. And I fell into that trap when I was, you know, in my early 20s of not putting that picture up because I felt I didn't look good enough. And when you get that little bit older, maybe that bit of awareness and that self-confidence tends to be there a little bit more. Then you're a little bit more like, oh, to hell with it, I'll throw it up. But as a young adult or a teenager, it's very hard and you are constantly comparing yourself to what you see in your screen. So... Yeah, um, I guess my message is to, as you said, get it up there, and and that is real life, and that is what the majority of the people are 
going through similar to yourself. Yeah, absolutely. Check this guy out, folks. Rory Smith, Fit Life Coaching. He's based in Navin, but he posts regularly on social media and he's a rock of sense. Thank you for taking our call today. Fine Thanks message. Thank you very much, Terry. Take care of yourself. Bye-bye. Bye-bye. Good message. Real strong message there from Rory. That's a lot on late lunch for this Wednesday afternoon. Coming up on tomorrow's show, Owen McGee of RTE fame will tell you how to mind your money or advise you. John McDonnell, who's a beef producer, is with us. And Paddy Goodwin has a new song and it's fantastic with his Holy Ghost and he's in concert this weekend and we're chatting to him tomorrow on Late Lunch. Eddie Caffrey's coming next with The Drive but today we'll leave you in the company of the wonderful Ed Sheeran. Now no bad habits, are you listening? Ed can sing about it but mind yourselves. See you tomorrow, half on. Bye. Every time you come around you know I can't say The Late Lunch with Blackstone Motors, Jawhead and Dawkin Cabin. Order your new 221 Renault today from our extensive Renault range. Guaranteed delivery and low-rate APR finance. Visit blackstonemotors.ie. Even on a budget, quality is non-negotiable. That's why Quince is the place to score high-end essentials at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Get your hands on buttery soft cashmere sweaters from just 60 bucks, Italian leather jackets, and so much more. And the best part about Quince? They exclusively partner with factories committed to safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Elevate your style without the elevated price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns.